Hello, everybody. Today's going to be a very interesting podcast. We're going to learn a little bit about history. But before we start getting into the history, let's talk about today. Players are getting paid millions of dollars to play a game they love. They have trainers that make them better, practice facilities, doctors, personalized diets, per diems, endorsements, the list can go on. Once the season is up and they're unrestricted free agents, they could choose and sign anywhere. And if you're a star, the sky's the limit. You can get $50 million, $100 million, even past $200 million, which Seth Curry got on his contract extension. You can even demand a trade like Kyrie Irving. It's a player's league today. However, it didn't always used to be that way. So for our focus in this episode, we chat with Sam Smith in his upcoming book, Hard Labor, the battle that birthed the billion-dollar NBA, which primarily focuses on Oscar Robertson's lawsuit versus the league, which in turn paved the way for players' rights in the modern NBA. I'm Justin Keonan. I'm Ray LeBeau. And welcome to the Basketball Intelligence Podcast. Bro, what are you talking about, man? They made up a term called analytics. Take that for data. Ray, tell us who Sam Smith is. Well, Sam, for many years, has been one of the most prominent and respected NBA reporters. He became a full-time Chicago Bulls NBA writer in 1987. He's the author or co-author of several books, including the New York Times bestseller, The Jordan Rules. He's been a columnist for the Sporting News, ESPN, NBC, Hoops Hype, Inside Sports Magazine, and NBA publications in China and Japan. He received a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Pro Basketball Writers Association and the Kurt Gowdy Media Award from the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. So let's turn to your uh, forthcoming book. Just going to read a tiny bit from the pre-publication info on Amazon and then turn it over to you. Uh, describes the book as the, uh, uh, detailing the fight for players' financial equ- equity and free agency and the right for players' rights. Uh, it, it details players' right, the fight for players' rights, and examines the massive repercussions for the NBA and sports in the United States in the 40 years since. You made a very important point about um, the lack of historical knowledge of so many of today's fans, and they have no context. And, you know, when I have conversations with people who are avidly into uh, the association and following the game, et cetera, it's really striking uh, that they think, you know, the NBA started in the 1990s. So, yeah, I think it's a really important thing. I'm very happy to have brought it up. I'm very glad that you're writing it, and I'm glad to have the opportunity to talk to you about it. Yeah, no, I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to it. The, the genesis, you know, you know, the way it sounds, it's sports labor, and there's always a lockout or something. Nobody wants to read about those stories. I know I had to write them at different times with the Chicago Tribune over the years with the various lockouts in 99 and whatever. Um, so I understand that. And, and, and so, I mean, the, the book is, yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of the definitive story of the Oscar Robertson suit, which set up the first free agency. And really much more than that. The genesis of it is that, and that's really where I got the idea for doing it. A lot of guys I've gotten to know over the years from being around the NBA and um, being interested in the history of the game myself, they're not doing well, you know, financially and doing poorly. And so in talking to a lot of these guys over the years, not only am I aware of that, but I, I hear all the guys in this era talk about all the time 
And one of the most famous always to me was, was uh, Rashid Wallace, who we all know was a pain in the neck. Um, but he always would make this great point, you know, this big point about, you know, we're a family and you hear from the players all the time, you know, it's, a, it's an exclusive fraternity, which it is. Keep in mind, with 15 players on a roster, with 30 teams in the league, you only have 450 players in this exclusive club, the upper echelon of athletes. Granted, the new rule in the CBA now allows up to 17 players on a roster, which changes 450 to 510. That's still a small number. You know, to be a, to be a pro athlete in any of our team sports, you know, baseball or, or anything, golf or, you know, individual sports is, is unique. You know, the Greek gods of our society are athletes. And so they always talk about, you know, they're part of their family and we're not part of that, you know, in the media, we're outsiders. Yeah, we are. I understand that. And we should be. But my point it, it became the genesis of, you know what, why don't you guys take care of your family? Because a lot of you guys in your family are doing really bad financially and living from day to day. And the guys in nursing homes that money for toothpaste and stuff. I mean, really, the amount of stuff that, you know, you hear about and guys. And, and the other part of being a pro athlete is it's a very pride. You don't get to be a pro athlete unless you have this tremendous pride and competitiveness. And so these are not people who go around and, and ask for help and, and you know, are, are begging for money. But, they are, you know, I've run into, I'd run into guys, you know, stories of guys who are homeless, um, you know, and, and a lot of it becomes, oh, you, you know, these guys, you know, they throw away their money, they buy 12 cars. No, 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 not these guys, not these guys from this era, you, you know, from, the, you know, the 60s and the 70s. I mean, these guys... And that was what the Robertson suit did. It created free agency, but it didn't help them. You know, it was sort of like, um, you know, the American Constitution. And, 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 and I made some references. I'll explain that. But, um, or, or even, you know, uh, Social Security, Medicare, Obamacare, whatever. We're going to have national health insurance at some point. We're not going to have it now. But, but you, got, you always have to, you got to start it somewhere. You you can't have everything at once. You know, when, when, when Social Security came in in the Depression, it wasn't as it is now. You know, it was a limited program, but it grew into something to help the entire society. Just as Obamacare will, the Affordable Care Act, and, and, and it will become a national health care of some sort because that, we need that. And the American Constitution, you know, there, were, there was still slavery when we had the, the Bill of Rights and the Declaration of Independence. Obviously, not everybody was independent and free from the Bill of Rights, but it eventually led to that. And so it's the same thing with free agency. You've got to start somewhere. These guys didn't, uh, uh, didn't benefit from the fight they had. They, they sued their bosses. They were punished for this. I, I mean, it's no surprise that Oscar Robertson is one of the brightest players in the history of the game. Everybody who played with him would tell you that. The smartest guy who played the game never was offered a coaching job, never was offered a job in management in the NBA. Is that, that, is that a coincidence? Was kicked off his TV job. Um, uh, Chet Walker, who is one of the um, plaintiffs in the suit, uh, re- last year he played in the NBA. He, he averaged 19 points and couldn't couldn't get a, couldn't get signed because the team he was with, uh, Chicago, said they didn't want him and he weren't, they weren't going to let him play with anyone else. And well, they did. I mean, they would have 
had him back, but they wanted to give him, they wanted to cut his pay or something. <laughs> and so these, these guys, a lot of these guys were blackballed and, and Joe Caldwell also still to this day, still fighting for some of his pension money from, from some of the contracts he signed. And so they, not everybody, you know, Bill Bradley was a plaintiff and John Havlicek and guys have, you know, some guys have done, have done better and have not, you know, Wes Unseld was a plaintiff and wasn't discriminated, you know, because Washington and Abe Holland took care of him and everything. But a lot of these guys, you know, suffered as a result of this. And so I understand in, in previous collective bargaining agreements, you know, players had to take care. But, but in these last, in this last collective bargaining agreement and, and in these recent years with this incredible revenue that has come into the NBA, my point in, 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 and actually what led me to doing this book was, you know what, how about doing something finally for these guys? Now, they did do something, and I, and I, and I commend them. The Player Association included uh, a medical plan, um, you know, which is, which is good. You know, of course, all these guys are on Medicare, so, but, I, but it does cover supplemental and some of this stuff. And, and, and so they finally did something, you know, yes. But, but a, lot of, you know, a lot of these guys are still in poor financial condition. And, and these were guys who made, you know, John Havlicek told me, he was one of the plaintiffs to the suit, yeah, I think it was his fourth year in the NBA, and um, he 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 was one of the league leaders in like every category, led Boston and everything. And he you know he went in for his contract, and uh, they said, well, you know, we think you're making twenty thousand. We think he'll give you up to twenty one thousand. And, and and so, you know, these are the best players in the history. You know, you know the names, but they were making twenty five and thirty five and forty thousand and fifty or seventy five. And and that didn't that didn't go far. So it wasn't that they had some entourage and they were buying a bunch of cars and giving people money. They just didn't make they didn't make any money in their primes. They you all know? had they all had very pedestrian off season jobs as well. Here's a good example. Oscar Robinson worked for Pepsi during the off season just to make ends meet. For me, growing up during the Jordan era, I found this unbelievable. Me and Ray talked about this for a little bit. They all had jobs in the off season, and they weren't part time. <laughs> they were, I guess you mean by temporary. I guess in a sense they were seasonal. Seasonal might be the yes, better word. Yes, yeah, seasonal is the better uh, word. They all had jobs because you know the salaries were so low. There's no way you could support, you know, live in any kind of lifestyle um, based on what you were getting um, in the during the season, and so they had to supplement their income. Now imagine seeing Russell Westbrook's coming off his triple-double season and working customer service for Mountain Dew. By the way, this is how some Olympic athletes make ends meet today. So, it, it, you know, it really actually what... It, it's a story of which is little told. Actually, when I started this project, it, 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 and it's not that guys were reluctant, but I, I wanted to start with Oscar, obviously. He was the, you know, the reason he was named is he was the president of the Player Association at the time. So I went to, I, I, I called him up and I've talked to him a couple of times of, you know, various times over the years. And, and Oscar is a very prickly guy as anyone's ever dealt with him. And obviously I didn't cover him as a player, but you know, over the years I would talk to him about this or that. And, and so I, I presented this proposal, you know, I went to him and, and when I called Bill Bradley about this, um, one of the plaintiffs, he said to me, it's about time somebody's going to say somebody was writing about this and, and, and not, not to say 
I would do something great, not the point to myself, but his point was, you know, this is, this is a, you know, a great, you know, unique story that's really very little has ever been written about. We, you know, everyone knows, yes, the Oscar Robertson suit, but, and I think because sports labor, nobody wants to really, you know, is right. Once when they're writing about reading about sports and talking about sports, they don't want to talk about labor. Anyway, that's why I expanded it more. And obviously I told the story of the, you know, of the fight for um, economic independence. Um, but more than that, the story of these guys and, and, and that era, incredible things that went on. It, Chet Walker and Joe Caldwell, you know, and Chet's in the hall of fame. You know, Joe was a, one of the great athletes ever playing the NBA was all-star in the ABA, NBA and ABA. They both told me about, they told me the same stories essentially, which I'm so I'm sure it's happened before. They were both, they both kidnapped on the way to start college. And, you know, this is the sixties and, you know, black men, they were, they were on, under the threat of being hung if they didn't go. So Chet was on the way to Nebraska and he got kidnapped, you know, it's 18 year old kid and uh, ended up at Bradley. And Joe was, was working at UCLA, even had a summer job, and got kidnapped to, to Phoenix, to Arizona State, <laughs> and ended up going there because, you know, 18-year-old black kids in the United States in the 60s, um, you know, you could, you could end up hung. And Lenny Wilkins, uh, he wasn't a plaintiff, but he, he, Lenny was active in the Player Association, one of the most active, but then he became player coach and he, he couldn't be involved. But, you know, Lenny was telling me when he was with St. Louis, the St. Louis Hawks in the sixties, he was an all-star starter. And, um, across from the arena where they were playing, there was a restaurant all players would go to. And, and in the window, they had the pictures of all the starters, Bob Pettit and great St. Louis team back then. Lenny was one. And so they had his picture in the, in the window because they had all the Hawks starters, but let, they wouldn't let him eat there because he was black. Can you imagine this? A city that celebrates you and the team you play for, what you represent for the city, the pride they hold for your team. And remember, the Hawks were a pretty good team. They won a championship during the 57 and 58 season. I couldn't imagine how Lenny Wilkins felt when he saw that. Crazy. It's amazing, you know, the things that went on, not just in America, obviously, with the civil rights movement, but that happened to these guys. You know, Cousy, you know, was the first, Bob was the first president of the Players Association, and Tommy Heinsohn took over, who's still, you know, working in Boston, and then Oscar was after Tommy Heinsohn. And, um, <laughs> You know, I remember, you know, guys back then and into the 60s and, and, and into the 70s, and not so much in the 70s, but, you know, it's it, it so much is taken for granted now in the, in the conditions of players. And, you know, back then there were no team buses, there were no trainers and stuff like that. And, that, and that's, you know, what these guys were fighting for. They were fighting for, you know, a trainer to tape their ankles. You know, they, um, uh, the teams used to hire you know, like veterinarians when they would go into cities to, you know, be like the doctor <laughs> to, to, to tape their ankles before the games. And I remember Heinsohn telling me that, you know, one of the things you'd, you'd, the players would take a um, share a cab from the hotel to the game. And there was no team bus or anything. And so then you could, you would get reimbursed um, once you got to the game. You know, the 
and so, so from our back. So he he said, you know, it would be like three dollars and fifty cents or something. But then Red would say, well, it cost me three and a quarter on my ride. So that's all you're getting, three and a quarter. And and so, you know, the the stuff that these guys experienced, and and you know, when not talking about, you know, not only Bob Cousy and ancient, you know, NBA, but you know, Oscar Robertson and John Havlicek and um, the conditions. And, you know, we talk, I made reference to, you know, the Celtics who, who essentially, you know, invented fast break basketball. And, and we talk about everything that goes on today, not necessarily unique, but, you know, with the crossover, which essentially now is um, a rules violation, it's a palming and a carry. <laughs> And these guys, you know, we you, if you compare the rules anyway, but but Archie Clark was the first guy doing crossovers. You know, he was doing crossover dribbles in the '60s. Um, you know, which which you know we, we credit to Iverson or and and Don Kojus, um, who's little remembered, but he he was um, forward with with the, he played with several expansion teams. He was with the expansion Bulls in '66. And uh, he invented the, you know, you know the, the backdoor lob dunk. He and Guy Rogers used to throw a, a lob pass on a, on a backdoor cut to him, you know, back in 1966. So, so many of the things that we think in this era, these guys were doing, you know, these guys were, you know, were, were, were doing back in the 60s. I remember Wes Unseld, when I talked to him, he was one of the plaintiffs about the, uh, you know, his uh, pat, you know, his... Uh, and Wes was probably, and it still gets credit when people mention about the outlet pass, and we see Kevin Love do, you know, these great outlet passes he makes. You know, Wes told me how he used to practice. He, he used to be against and learn to do it basically against the wall. He used to, uh, you know, used to try to kill flies against the wall by throwing throwing a you know, throwing the ball against them quick, and you know, just you know, risking it outlet. And so. Um, you know, there's, there's, and, and, and it was so much, so much, like I say, incredible stories and, 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 and so much these guys went through. Tom Macheri, who was one of the plaintiffs in the suit, was in a Japanese prisoner of war camp during World War II um, and uh, for the entire World War II uh, because his, his, uh, his father was an officer in the Russian army. And when World War II started, uh, they were stuck in, in uh, Tokyo trying to get to the United States. Uh, Archie Clark, you know, after, college, after high school, you know, because the recruiting wasn't what it is today, um, went to Korea and was active duty uh, serviceman in Korea before he went to, went to college in Minnesota and had a great career and ended up being drafted. So it, 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 it's, it's such a unique era that's, that's not that far in the past and uh, you know familiar with the filled with familiar names that we've heard of and know about but have no idea what the what their lives were about and so this was a great opportunity for me to you know do this and write about it and like i say the the hope is that the players in this era recognize what these guys did you know, by putting their careers on the line, literally put their careers on the line by, you know, suing the league, suing their bosses, going to Washington, 
um, you know, testifying, um, you know, and, 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 uh, you know, getting, making the case that led to free agency and eventually evolved to, you know, what we have today. And, um, you know, so I, so I hope the players, as much as I think the fans will find it, you know, a, a bunch of, you know, sort of, gee, I didn't know that. I, I think that's what the sort of book is. It's a lot of, gee, I didn't know that moments. Um, I would like to hope the players understand and appreciate what these guys did and maybe do something for them. I'm going to myself would uh, try to set up a, a foundation uh, to help guys. Now I know it sounds silly to say, well, we're on a foundation for NBA players, <laughs> but a lot of these guys really need it. And then, and they're not going around asking for it. And, 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 and I say there's a retired players association and the, 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 the MB the NBA players association has started to do some stuff. Um, but they're just, you know, so many guys fall through the cracks. So we look forward to your book for a number of reasons for its own sake and what we're going to learn from reading it and how fascinating it's going to be. And also um, we can, we can hope that it's going to have that so those sorts of impacts that um, you're talking about. We're going to have to wind up now and, um, Sam, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to visit with us. This has been an incredible experience and um, just an awesome um, podcast. So thank yeah, you so much. I was glad much. to do it. I feel badly for you guys now because you're going to have to edit so much of this stuff because I talk too long. But uh, anyway, I'm glad, I was glad to uh, have a conversation with you guys. Thanks again. Really, really appreciate it. So take care, Sam. Just a quick note. Music is from Els Michaels Affair and Caravan. Don't forget to check out our blog, Basketball Intelligence, at basketballintelligence.net. And when you're there, please subscribe to our newsletter. I'm Justin Keonan. I'm Ray LeBeau. This is Basketball Intelligence. Thanks so much for listening. 